Matthew chapter 11, 16 to 24. You ready? Yeah? Andrew's ready. Just Andrew. Oh, that's good enough for me. All right, verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be uh, here with you. For those who haven't met, my name's Jono. Um, I, uh, the, I'm the lead pastor across at uh, Harrington Park um, and senior minister of our parish. And it's, it's, uh, I describe myself as the... Uh, the the most committed, poorly attending member of this church. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I've um, delighted in, in uh, seeing the way that uh, this church has grown over the, over the years and uh, it's certainly a joy to, to be with you. Um, I get across here about once a term. I think I'm actually coming twice this term, so that's, uh, that's a bonus. Um, uh, and uh, I'm uh, yeah, pleased to open God's Word together with you today. Let's, let's pray as we come to reflect on, on this part of God's Word. Our Father, we do thank you for your word and we, we thank you for this time. Father, we ask that you would, uh, you would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand and hearts ready to respond to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like we're kind of living under a, a, a cloud at the moment. Uh, it's a COVID cloud and even just mentioning that word kind of you, you feel a little bit of the, the, the cloud kind of uh, descending uh, upon us. It, it takes different forms for different people. For some it's a, a cloud of, um, of confusion, maybe a cloud of fear, of frustration, of fatigue or fed upness. I don't know if fed upness is a word but it's, I think it should be. Uh, and now maybe for you that the clouds are actually starting to lift and there's a bit of blue sky kind of creeping through a little bit like today actually in, in the weather uh, maybe things are starting to look a bit a bit up but I think in many ways it just feels like life isn't the way that it used to be and I want it to be and I hope that it will be one day that it will go back to how things were maybe it will maybe it won't it kind of feels like we're living under a bit of a cloud now imagine if tomorrow morning the, the news and the media and the social media were just awash with a story announcing that COVID had ended, that soon there would be no more COVID somehow, miraculously, that life would just return to normal, to pre-COVID days where we could do things the way that we used to and, and the confusion and the fear and the frustration, the fatigue and the fed upness was, that has infiltrated so much of life would soon be gone. Imagine the announcement 
The kingdom of post-COVID is near. Now, I don't mean to torment you with such a wishful idea, but I wonder if contemplating that helps us to grasp, well, something of the, of the, the, the weight and far greater magnitude of the announcement that came when John the Baptist came preaching in 3 verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Or when Jesus came preaching uh, 4 verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Or when in 9 verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Or when Jesus extended his ministry as he sent his apostles out to 10 verse 7, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus came into this world and brought an astounding, colossal announcement. One of such immense magnitude and importance. He said a new kingdom, a new age, the reign of God himself has come near. It's entering the world. The cloud is lifting. It's time to respond. And a response of some sort is, well, it's inevitable. I mean, news of, of that magnitude, it evokes an inevitable response one way or another. And I think it tends to be kind of polarising. It is one way or the other. It's either you, you grab hold of it with both hands as the best thing since sliced bread or it's rejected, it's ignored, it's written off as nonsense. And in this passage before us today, where we see this this latter response to Jesus and the colossal announcement that he brought, uh, we see this response in in Jesus' assessment of his contemporaries, of his culture, of of those around him, those he calls there in, uh, in verse 16, this generation. And the assessment we read in this passage, well, it's... It's not very favourable. I've got to say, this is not a very cheery passage. And I'm not sure really what I was thinking when I worked out the preaching program breakup. I mean, why didn't I include the next bit as well in this, with this passage? You know, the, the, the much more upbeat uh, you know, section with, with Jesus, the, the, the gentle and humble one, with his invitation to come to him for rest, with his easy, uh, his easy uh, yoke and his light burden. And, you know, I could have just included that and focused more on the second part and, and less on this unfavourable assessment of this generation. And then I think, well, why did, why did they give me this passage? And I gave Gav the, the, the passage next week. But I want to say, despite my whinging, uh, I'm actually glad to be preaching just this passage. And I'm glad that we're going slow and letting God's word speak to us. Because we'd be fools to only listen to the bits of God's word that, uh, that we like or the bits that we find uh, you know, easy or the bits that we find cheery or the bits we agree with. So I say let's not be fools. So what is uh, Jesus' assessment of these people to whom John came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, to whom Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, to whom, amongst whom Jesus has healed the sick and driven out demons and raised the dead? All these things have happened. Jesus' assessment, verse 16, to what can I compare this generation? He's analysing his generation. Now, generational analysis gets a bit of attention from time to time. You know, people generalise about the characteristics of a particular generation. 
you know, we've, what, what are the generations? We've got the, the, the builders and then the baby boomers and uh, Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, I generation. They have different names, different times. And sometimes it's just a way of sledging someone to say, you know, oh, you're such a boomer. I've had that said to me uh, various times, to which I respond, but I, I'm not a boomer. That's my parents' generation. Uh, but, um, or, or the other the, the re- reply is often, are oh, you millennials? You're all the same. Look, there can be some value in generalising how people of a generation respond. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's generalising about the generation around him. And he says, in short, he says they're, they're like obstinate, fickle, impossible to please children. Verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. We played a happy tune, but you refused to dance. We played a sad one, but you refused to mourn. If the parents amongst us have ever encountered this kind of obstinate, uh, impossible to please uh, behaviour in their children, surely not. Jesus then explains this comparison. Verse 18, he says, For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Well, he's not saying that John never ate or drank. That would be kind of miraculous. But he's saying that, uh, that John came, his eating and his drinking were minimal. Uh, we know from chapter 3, verse 4, that his food was uh, locusts and wild honey. Anyone ever tried locusts and wild honey? No, I haven't, but I, I gather the point is it's a, it's a minimal kind of diet. Uh, from Luke chapter 1, verse 15, we're, we're told that he was never to drink wine or other fermented drink. And in uh, chapter 9, verse 14, we read that John's disciples often fasted, which was in contrast to Jesus' disciples and so John came neither eating nor drinking and yet people didn't say oh John you're so godly you must be a man of God who speaks the truth about God no they many of them wrote him off as demon possessed but then on the other hand Jesus came and Jesus refers to himself here as the son of man which was a an expression that Jesus used to describe him himself it uh, could be simply mean sort of yours truly Jesus the son of man came Uh, But it also, I think, alludes to an Old Testament prophecy in Daniel 7 of the coming of the great and mighty ruler appointed by God, given all power and authority and glory. Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking and welcoming all manner of people and, and announcing, pointing forward to the coming wedding banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus came and many wrote him off as and condemned him, saying he was a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of lowlifes. And so Jesus' assessment of and his condemnation of his generation is that, well, they're, they're predisposed against him, against God, such that they, they'll reject the message, they'll reject the messenger, however it comes to them. This generation is childish and obstinate in their rejection of God. Now, I don't think this is peculiar to Jesus' generation. There are always people who are obstinately predisposed against God, against his messengers. Whatever tune is being played, they'll find a way to object. 
So as I think about it, in you know, bygone days when Christians were was regarded as good, upright, moral people, they were they were written off as being kind of goody goody, two shoes, holier than thou sorts. But then more recently, as the morality of, of our world has has shifted and Christians are, are no longer that they no longer conform to the kind of popular so-called morality of our day and age, they're now written off as being evil, hateful bigots. To use the same logic as uh, verse 18 and 19, we might say, when, when Christians came strictly upholding and living according to the morality of the day, you said, you're such a goody-goody, two-shoes, wowser. Uh, or when Christians came refusing to conform to the culturally approved, political correct norms of the day, you said, you're such an evil, hateful bigot. The point is that regardless of the morality or otherwise of the generation, the culture around us, the default attitude, the default response of many is to reject Jesus, to reject his message, to reject us, his messengers. Which may seem kind of grossly unfair, and well, it is. But that's the nature of the response of this world. I mean, for people to write John the Baptist off and say he was demon-possessed was wrong and unfair. For people to write Jesus off as a glutton and a drunkard and an associate of lowlifes is so unfair, not to mention blasphemous. Likewise, if we are followers of Jesus and people write us off as loony Christians, well, we shouldn't be surprised. As Jesus said in the, the previous chapter, in chapter 10, verse 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. Verse 25, if the head of the house, Jesus, has been called Beelzebul, a name for the evil one, well, how much more the members of his household? So, I guess by way of application here, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be downcast if, if many people in this generation refuse to believe the gospel of Jesus, so if they condemn us as crazy people. I mean, if that's how they treated our master, then, well, we're privileged to be following in our master's footsteps. But before we, uh, I guess, read ourselves into the shoes of John the Baptist and Jesus, perhaps we ought to make sure that, well, that we're not being part of the childish generation with our fingers in our ears screaming, we're not listening. I mean, we should make sure that, that we don't go the way of this generation that Jesus condemns but rather that we should heed the words of the, the verse before the passage Gav read for us, from verse 15, where it says, Whoever has ears, let them hear. So the announcement has been made. The kingdom of heaven is near. So make sure you don't childishly refuse to listen and respond, because in the end, regardless of how anyone regards John or Jesus, in the end, God will have the final word. As Jesus says at the end of verse 19, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. What does that mean? Well, I think it's, it's saying John might be condemned as demon-possessed, Jesus might be condemned as gl a gluttonous drunkard, but both John and Jesus were characterized by wisdom, by God's wisdom, by the fear of the Lord. And they will be proved right by their deeds, their actions that come from wisdom. Which, 
I think is actually really helpful if, if you're new to this, if you're still trying to work out, well, what's this all about and what does it mean and trying to make sense of what Jesus says, it means that you can, well, you can look at what, he's, what he, he said, but you can also look at what he did and his actions will back up his words. Jesus gives this assessment of this generation, but then he sharpens it up with a warning. A warning that it's, it's not going to end well for those who have ears, but don't listen. As Jesus announced the coming kingdom, as he healed and performed miracles, as, as Jesus' apostles were sent out announcing the coming kingdom and healed and performed miracles, many who heard did not listen. They did not repent. Verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Now, you need to understand here that uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and, and then later in verse 23, um, Capernaum. There's a map here, it's probably too small to see, but if you zoom in, there's the Sea of Galilee. These, these towns were, were around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus had, had preached, had announced, brought this, coming, this announcement of the coming kingdom, where Jesus had healed and performed these miracles. These people should have been God's people. They were part of Israel. And they should have been God's people such that when God's appointed king came proclaiming his kingdom, they should have repented of their sin. They should have welcomed him in. But they didn't. And Jesus warned of of the coming day of judgment. And he he turned up the heat by saying, look, if Tyre and Sidon, and and later in verse 23, Sodom, these, these Gentile godless places beyond Israel, if they had heard and been given the opportunities that you've been given, they would have repented. Perhaps it's like the person who has uh, who's, who's been given the, the privileged position of growing up with, with Christian parents, attending church, youth group, maybe a Christian school, and they have all the, if you like, Christian pedigree and, and uh, privilege. But when they're confronted with the person of Jesus, when they're challenged to respond to him, there's no repentance. There's no turning to Jesus, there's no acknowledging him as Lord and Saviour, but instead there's a, a cold holding him at a distance, clinging to the idea that I run my life my way. To be in a position of privilege and opportunity and yet ignore Jesus, well, it makes you even more culpable. And to continue in that path with the day of judgment coming is just plain foolishness. I was a bit like this once. I grew up um, with Christian parents and they took me to, to church every Sunday, Sunday school and church and then back for church in the evening. And um, I even did Sunday school exams, can you believe? We had exams, we had to memorise large slabs of scripture and write them out. Anyone else ever do Sunday school exams? Yes? Maybe it was a Baptist thing, was it? Yeah. I had this great privilege great opportunity uh, been given but in my teenage years I was really confronted with the the news that Jesus was king and that I was a sinner and that a day of judgment was coming 
And, and despite my privileged position, my upbringing, I, just like any, anybody else, needed to repent and trust Jesus as my saviour, as my king. And by God's grace, I did. And I'm really thankful to, to those preachers of, at the church where I grew up, which, who taught me, who challenged me with, well, the same sort of truths that we see here in Matthew 11. Truths that include the fact that there is a day of judgment coming. Jesus speaks plainly about it. And he says, if you reject him, if you ignore the announcement of his kingdom, if you refuse to repent, as did the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida, well, you'll be condemned when you meet God in judgment. Jesus spoke plainly about it. It may not be a popular message to many in our generation, but it's what Jesus taught plainly. And wisdom would be that we stop, that we listen that we respond. Now, of course, the the warning is not the full story. Uh, We need to read on into the passage that Gab's going to preach on next week. We need to hear the wonderful invitation from Jesus that comes comes to us not only as our king, as our judge, but also as our saviour and our friend. And I'm tempted to, to preach on into the passage, but I better leave that for Gab for next week. But we do need to hear the warning. The warning's not the full story, but we need, it's part of the story and we, along with this generation, need to hear it and we need to heed it. So, by way of application, friends, the cloud has lifted. The kingdom has come near. Jesus calls on us to respond. And so, the first and most important implication from this part of God's word is, have you repented? Now, you might think, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to repent? To repent is to, is to do a U-turn. It's to change your mind. It's to change the direction of your life. Away from living your own way without God to turning to Him, asking Him for forgiveness, asking Him to help you to, to live His way. So the first and most important implication of this part of God's Word is, have you repented? If not, nothing is more important. Repent today. Repent before you face God in judgment. You don't know when that will be. It could be today. It could be a long time from now. We don't know. But secondly, if you have repented, if you you receive the good news that Jesus is king, then keep following him as king. Don't be surprised when the world around, around us says you're mad or, or says worse about you, I mean, many in this generation, like in Jesus' generation, will obstinately refuse to listen. They will reject Jesus. They will reject you if you're following Jesus. Just recognize that that's a reality. Don't be surprised by it. Make, make your peace with that fact. But thirdly, keep holding out the good news. Because not everyone will reject Jesus. There are those whom God has chosen. You'll hear about that next week. Hang on to the news that the cloud has lifted and hold out that news to others. Speaking of which, explaining Christianity starts in four, five days. Inviting someone to come with you, to come along to that or go yourself is a great way to hear about the King who has come to hear about how the cloud has lifted. So, have you repented? 
Don't be surprised if the world rejects you. Keep holding out the good news. Let's pray. Our Lord God and gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you that Jesus, the Son of Man, the King of your kingdom, has come. That he's come welcoming sinners like us into your kingdom. Father, if there are any here who have not yet repented and put their trust in Jesus, please, in your mercy, lead them to do so, to be spared your judgment and to discover the blessing of life in your kingdom. Father, please strengthen us all to live for Jesus as our King, to do that even in the face of opposition from the world around us. Father, use us to to hold out the good news of your kingdom to others, that they may repent and follow Jesus too. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.